When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 275. Today's episode is all about overcoming a scarcity mindset to find a purpose that's larger than yourself. We don't really live in our communities. We don't really live in our relationships. We don't live really live in the world. We live in the conversation we have about our lives. We live in the conversation we have about our communities. We live in the conversation we have about our relationships. We live in the conversation we have about the world. We can't necessarily change every relationship, change our community, change the world so fast, but we have absolute omnipotence, absolute omnipotence over the conversation we have about our lives, the conversation we have about our communities, the conversation we have about our relationships, the conversation we have about our world. That's where we have all the levers and dials and the power. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Do you ever feel like you're just going through the motions? Get up, get ready, go to work, come home, make dinner, pour a glass of wine, go to sleep, and do it all over again the next day. In my 20s and part of my 30s, this was fine with me. I lived for the weekends, or my next trip, or happy hour with friends. But eventually, even my scheduled in fun started to lose its luster. I just visited one of my best friends for the weekend, and she lives in an amazing city, has really close friendships, bought her own condo in the heart of the town, She even gets to travel to really cool places for work. From the outside, she's living her best life. But when we got deep, she told me that she's worried that she feels numb inside. She doesn't have the empathy or the outpouring heart that she used to. And her conclusion is that maybe those are things that you lose when you don't find something to live for that's larger than yourself. And I think she might be right. This is exactly how I started to feel in my late 20s, and again in my mid-30s. It was this feeling that pushed me to find my purpose and start mind love. It was also this feeling that changed my mind about having kids. And as difficult and as stressful as starting your own business or giving up your freedom to go into that newborn bubble is at times, they're also the reasons that I wake up day after day. But if you're anything like I was, that purpose can be hard to find. And I found it when the world seemed relatively calm, at least from my limited perspective. The truth is, the more chaos that we feel around us, the more we instinctually go into survival mode. We enter into our primal brains. And when we do that, creative processing, 
higher emotions, critical thinking, all take a back seat, which makes it even more difficult to find fulfillment because we aren't thinking about giving or growing a family. We're thinking about basic primal needs, whether we realize it or not. We hoard more, we worry more, we hibernate, we cut ourselves off. And like my friend said, we sort of numb ourselves. So what do we do? How do we find that connection that leads us to the fulfillment we're really seeking? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Lynn Twist. She's the founder of the Soul of Money Institute and author of the best-selling award-winning book, The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. And she's just come out with a new book called Living a Committed Life, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in a Purpose Larger Than Yourself. Over the past 40 years, Lynn has worked with over 100,000 people in 50 countries in arenas of fundraising with integrity, conscious philanthropy, strategic visioning, and having a healthy relationship with money. So three key things we will learn are how to recognize our calling, the difference between taking a stand and taking a position, and why that difference matters, and why the mindset of scarcity is our biggest challenge and how to overcome it. Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Lynn Twist. She's the founder of the Soul of Money Institute and author of the best-selling award-winning book, The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. And she's just come out with a new book called Living a Committed Life, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in a Purpose Larger Than Yourself. Over the past 40 years, Lynn has worked with over 100,000 people in 50 countries in arenas of fundraising with integrity, conscious philanthropy, strategic visioning, and having a healthy relationship with money. So three key things we will learn are how to recognize our calling, the difference between taking a stand and taking a position, and why that difference matters, and why the mindset of scarcity is our biggest challenge and how to overcome it. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Lynn Twist to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So I have known about you for quite a while because your book, Soul of Money, was one of the first that I, when I was really having my spiritual transformation, somebody suggested it and I read it and it was one of those things where I started to just see the world differently at that time. And so between then, that book and now, what's, what's inspired your latest work? 
Um, well, right now I'm promoting this new book, which is called Living a Committed Life, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in a Purpose Larger Than Yourself. And I wrote Soul of Money 20, almost 20 years ago. So this is a big deal to have another book. I, I don't, I, I, my books are, are take 10, 20, 30 years. So it's a long pregnancy and now we're in the birth. So I'm, um, but since then I've been doing uh, the work that i been doing as a pro activist. I work on um, big global issues and um, have a lot of focus on the Ecuadorian and Peruvian Amazon, which is the headwaters, sacred headwaters of the Amazon rainforest, which is um, the source of our entire climate system. It comes from the Amazon rainforest and the the, uh, the places where I work in the Amazon with 30 indigenous groups is the source of the whole Amazon system, which is the source of our climate. So I feel so grateful to be working at the source of the source with indigenous people who know they are the custodians of the source of life. So at a time when everything's kind of up for grabs and it's all hand on, hands on deck and we've got a climate crisis and a political crisis and an economic crisis and an education crisis and a health crisis and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's good to be working with indigenous people who are very centered in their relationship with the natural world and are of the natural world rather than they live in it, they are of it. And um, their stability, their wisdom, their way of seeing the world is just like a tonic for those of us living in the crazy, wild, consuming world that we're in. So I've been doing that. Um, and also the work of the Nobel Women's Initiative, which is working to empower women and girls and stop uh, violence against women and girls um, in, in in times of war and in other situations where violence is prevalent. And then I've also been doing the work of the Soul of Money Institute, da -da -da -da, which is the institute that came from the book you read. So we work in people's relationship with money and life so that the um, kind of weird cultural relationship we all have with money is uh, transformed so that we see it as a current a currency, something flows through our life, flows in and flows out in, in, in either little trickles or in big rushing rivers, but it's just a current and it doesn't need to hijack our entire lives. So those are some of the things. And then having children and grandchildren have been very important in there and um, and just living life. So that's a long, varied answer to your short question, but <laughs> lots been happening. <laughs> I feel like, you know how everyone always says, you have the same amount of days, uh, time in a day as Oprah or Beyonce. I feel like we need to say it. Have the same amount of time in a day as Lynn Twist. Look what she's up doing. Because <laughs> it's a lot to have your hands in. And I know that Van Jones actually wrote the foreword for your newest book. And he said that you live your life unusual and inspiring. What do you think he noticed? Well, I um, I write about this, and that's really what the book's about, is that um, I've been lucky enough to make commitments way larger than my own life. So I don't live my life starring me anymore, kind of like, you know, about me and whether or not people like me or whether or not I look good or whether or not I'm young enough or old enough or thin enough or fat enough or all those things that we all think. Those thoughts come up. I still have them. I'm a human being. But they're in way in the background because I have these big, beautiful commitments that are in the foreground. And they call to me. They take me where I need to go on this planet. They take me to the right Zoom interviews like, like you. When you make a commitment larger than your own little life starring you, it brings you into relationship with great human beings, great causes, um, great relationships. And the greatness that's latent in you starts to blossom because it's, you need to be a match for the mountain you're climbing. 
So um, that's the um, that's really the what Van was referring to, and he lives that way too. So he's a he's a hero of many people, and he's a hero of mine. And we're sort of mentors to each other. He was pointing out, I think, in the forward to the book, is that this is a a way of living that's so fulfilling and so exciting and so satisfying, especially now when the world is in such turmoil. We need all hands on deck, and there's plenty to do. So to get engaged and involved and really in the great issues of our time, not as problems to be fixed, but opportunities to be fulfilled is, is really a way of living. And that's what he, what he does. And that's what I do. And that's what I recommend. So that really does what you just said, really encompass the meaning of, of living a committed life, serving outside of yourself. It's not just about us. It's about this bigger picture. And you're right. There's so much division. There's so much that's in turmoil. For me, I find it difficult to know who to trust when I'm figuring out what to commit to. And I know a lot of people feel that way, whether they're looking for a bigger purpose that's already created that they're, they want to join or they're even just finding that purpose within themselves. How do you recommend that people find that alignment, find that thing that's worth committing to so that they can go f- full force and actually trust <laughs> what they're doing? One of the ways to uh, discover that is to ask for guidance and ask for signs because they're there. They're always there. And, and when we're asking then we pay attention. And also there's a, a there's a call right now in the universe, in my, my experience, especially, especially a call for the earth, from the earth and for the earth. Um, it doesn't have to be that you work on the environment. I'm just saying that it's a call from the mother, you know, the mother that we need to step up and be our best selves and we need to make the difference that's ours to make. And it, it doesn't need to be a big role or a small role. It just needs to be your role. And you find it by looking to see what moves your heart what breaks your heart that you want to um, resolve or serve? What, um, when you were a child, who were your childhood heroes and heroines? That'll give you some clues. When you look back at your life, you may see that there's a through line that you were always about including people and making sure no one was left out. Or maybe you were always about beauty and music and dance and full self-expression and all the arts. Or maybe you were always about um, women and girls and making sure that each and every woman or girl has, has a voice. If you look back in your own life, you'll see there's there's themes, sometimes two or three themes of things that always touch your heart. You were always drawn to those people, the people doing that. You're always drawn to organizations, initiatives, articles, uh, news stories that were about that. Um, and if you really pay attention, ask for guidance you'll see there's some theme in your life. There's some call that's kind of always been there. And the world is a huge, you know, smorgasbord of issues that are calling for our participation, our love, our commitment, our passion. And you can tell because your body, you know, when when you get in touch with something that's really in the zone, you can feel it. It's physical. You, you know, you get a little teary. Women do at least, and some men do. You, your your body starts to, you know, you feel you're in the zone kind of. And that's a sign. There are so many signs that we pay attention to them. And we often deny them. And we're so busy and so running around and so kind of frantic these days that it, it distracts us and oblates um, the very thing that we're looking for. So it does take some stillness, some calm, some inquiry, some trust, as you mentioned, 
that the universe does love us. The universe loves you. It loves all of us. You know, there's a wonderful phrase we use at the Pachamama Alliance that the grace and guidance that brought this universe, this earth into existence is still here. That grace and guidance is still here. It didn't go away. It's been guiding us all along as an evolutionary journey. And so I think at this time in history, it's very, very epic because the breakdowns are just everywhere. There isn't anything that's not breaking down. Even religion is is having its 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 challenges. And so um, challenges is made for our uh, our heroic actions. It's made for giving us the opportunity to express our courage. It's made for us to step up and step out and step into life at a greater degree and not hide from the problems that we see, but engage with them, engage with them in a way that we don't argue our way against the other side, whatever that may be, but that we get engaged in resolving and um, improving and bettering and fulfilling what wants to happen on this planet, what wants to happen in our society, in our community, in our family, it with, with grace, with ease, with g- gentle, tender respect for all the different opinions and voices, but to play our rightful role. And I think everybody has that. Um, if they really ask and listen, it will show up for them. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, 
all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I love how you made a point to call out not just arguing with the other side, because I think that's such a trap that we get caught into. And I have for sure, where all of a sudden I've forgotten the purpose that I'm holding because I'm so wrapped up and just negating all the points from the other side. And and it's funny because I've flip-flopped sides on a number of things because I've made it a point in the last few years to try to I guess, dampen my judgment. And so I'm like, I, I need to get to know who these people are. Like, what do they actually want? And one of the biggest realizations that I had is often we don't even have the right idea of what the other side wants because all we see are the political talking points in the media that are created for clicks. You know, that's how media works these days. It's not about just selling papers anymore. It's like, well, we got to beat out this other thing. So let's do the most divisive headline possible because that'll get people to click and share and get emotional and do all the things. And what I found is often we all actually want the same things. We just might have completely different ways of getting there. And we can never know for sure if the way we have in mind is the right way because we are coming at everything in our life from a very limited perspective. And so I think it requires this humbleness to to be able to say like, yes, I feel very strongly about this, but There might be another way, or I might be wrong about some of these things, or I might not have the full story. So how can I let go of these big emotions inside, or maybe not let go of them, maybe transform them into something more productive so I'm not just getting bogged down by, you know, my own irritation or or all of a sudden realizing now you've just developed hatred for like 50% of the people in our country. Mm. But that's that's kind of difficult to do. So how do you keep yourself humble so that you don't just add to the divisiveness? Well, one thing that I think is important to pay attention to is that if you don't engage in the labels at all and just look for the human being. So for example, you know, when when people are being interviewed on the screen, on the television screen, it says under their name if they're a Republican or a Democrat, and it says whether they're progressive or conservative. I mean, it says all this stuff about them. It labels them before they even say a word. So then you can't hear them for just their humanity. You hear them through a filter called Republican or Democrat or progressive or conservative. And I do everything I can to just not pay attention to that, you know, just to block out and just look, oh, there's a human being. It's a father. It's a brother. It's a son. It's a human who's riled up and upset and angry about the way the world is. And I am too. I can align there with him on that, even though I don't agree with his, what he wants to do about it. But I'm so grateful that he's so passionate or she's so passionate. So it takes some real courage to do this because this society we're living in and the culture we're living in 
points you in the direction of what you already believe so fiercely that it's hard to even be open for the other point of view. <laughs> but um, I look for occasions to be with people who have different ideas than I do. And it's, it's, they're everywhere if you really want to. So there's, there's things called um, the, the, the reunited States, which is a Netflix series to watch. There's the, um, the living room conversations where you put together a dialogue with two conservatives or two people who, who agree on one topic and two people who agree on the same topic on the other side. And then two people who don't have an opinion and you, you, you download the conversation template and you have a wonderful conversation. And there's all kinds of, um, there's websites. And if you just put bridging the divide or finding unity among voices, or um, I want a conversation with, uh, with that brings people together on, on Google, all kinds of organizations are working on that. All kinds of people have developed methodologies all kinds of initiatives and NGOs have set that as their goal now because we need it so badly. So it's easy to find if you want it. If you want to be right about your point of view and make the other people wrong, there's a lot more pull for that right now than there is. Let's talk with each other in a way that's kind and tender and with deep listening and reverence and respect for each other. But you can find it if you want it. We need to want it. And sometimes we're so upset with the way that it is, we get into being angry with the way that it is, which is not useful. It's like arguing with the argument. If we don't like the way that it is, then do something about it. Get involved in a different conversation. You know, kind of I'm I'm talking to myself now. I wasn't a supporter of our previous president. I don't even like to say his name. And the current uh, situation about the steal of the election, all that, it, it, it really does infuriate me. But my infuriatingness makes it all worse. It adds more fuel to this fiery cauldron of anger and upset and people pointing at each other. I don't watch the um, political ads because they're, you know, they're, they're actually not about anything that I want to know. I don't want to know how horrible the other person is. I don't want to know that because I don't believe it anyway. Um, so I just don't engage in that stuff because here's the deal. You can control and and manage your life through the conversations you choose to participate in because I don't think we actually live in our lives. We don't really live in our communities. We don't really live in our relationships. We don't live really live in the world. We live in the conversation we have about our lives. We live in the conversation we have about our communities. We live in the conversation we have about our relationships. We live in the conversation we have about the world. We can't necessarily change every relationship, change our community, change the world so fast, but we have absolute omnipotence, absolute omnipotence over the conversation we have about our lives, the conversation we have about our communities, the conversation we have about our relationships, the conversation we have about our world. That's where we have all the levers and dials and the power. And I choose to have conversations that empower me. And I choose to, even in a difficult conversation with someone who has a different opinion, I choose to find a way to, to, to go deeper than our argument or our disagreement to where we're aligned. We want life to work. We want our country to flourish. We want our children to be happy. We want to be healthy and well. We want to live a good life. That's where we are, are, are aligned. How we do that, what the methodology is, there's all kinds of ways to think about that. But it doesn't mean that that person doesn't want 
and desire and deeply love what you and I love. It's hard, yes, but it's like a test, you know? It's like walking on hot coals or something. We just need to, you know, step into the fire and bring our heart, our soul, and our love into the conversations. And when we get triggered, say, oh, what you just said sort of triggered me. I can hardly respond. <gasps> ah, let me just calm myself down for a minute before I respond because I got triggered by that. Wow. I apologize. Give me a moment. You know, you can do stuff like that because everybody gets triggered. Everybody gets upset. Everybody wishes it were different. So I think the conversations you choose, the conversations you choose to be in and the conversation you choose to generate and the conversation you choose to have in your head actually determines the quality of your life. That's so true. And it feels harder. Well, I guess there's a difference between simplicity and difficulty. It's it's pretty simple. And we learn it in the very beginning of a self-development journey. It's like focus on what you can change, focus on what you can do, rather than getting so wrapped up in all the things that infuriate you and the people that you can't stand and, and whatever. It's like, well, instead of looking for all your differences, can you train yourself or or even make the commitment to say, you know, whenever I feel like I don't like this person, what if I focus my attention on the things that we had in common, on the humanity that we both share, on those things rather than just all of the things that separate us? That's been my biggest challenge or the biggest thing I've been working on this year is is focusing on oneness rather than separateness. And it's so easy mm. to just feel separate in a room full of people. And I've just been trying to open up all of the things, my mindset, my energy, and and feel differently and feel the connectedness in people. And it's it's making a really big difference. But I love what you said about the conversations that we're having too, because it's really easy to get into a conversation with somebody and then, yeah, you do get that triggered thing and then that's the thing you want to drill down on. But what is that going to do other than further divide you? Right. And it kind of reminds me of what you talk about. Maybe this is related, but the difference between taking a stand and taking a position. And the way I interpreted that when I read it is that taking the position, it's it's easy to be like, no, this is what I stand for, but you're just in your living room doing nothing about it. So how do you describe the difference between taking a position and taking a stand? Well, there's a, a, a dynamic of positionality. I, I assert, I can't prove this, but this is how I think it is. That positionality, which is a domain of communication or domain of being, let's say, positionality like yes, no, wrong, right, here, there, no, up, down. Positionality always creates its oppositionality. So if I say right, it does create left, actually. If I say up, it creates down. If I say yes, it creates no. If I say here, it creates there. So that's the dimension of positionality. It has that dynamic to it. It creates its oppositionality. So if I say pro-choice, it creates pro-life, actually. And if I get more entrenched in pro-life and more certain that that's my way of seeing the world and that's the truth, pro-life gets more entrenched, more certain, and more committed to saying this is the truth. And another way of looking at what that dynamic is, is a point of view. A position is also a point of view. So for example, when you think about the word point of view, it means from whence you are looking, from whence you are viewing, your viewpoint. For example, I use the example in the book, but I'll use it this way. If I'm a, if I'm at a football game and I'm at the very, 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 very top 
of the stadium way down by the end zone, I have a particular point of view of the field. The people down there, the football players are really small. I'm looking through kind of through the goalpost at them. I have a particular point of view. And for me, that's absolutely the truth. That point of view is accurate for me from where I see, from where I sit, from where I'm looking, that is accurate. And then someone else might be sitting on the 50 yard line, 10 rows up from the field, and they have a completely different point of view. The football players are much larger. They're running around kind of right in front of you. There's some of the people on the sidelines, the coaches and everything, they're kind of in your way. And you have a different, completely different view of exactly the same football field. But your point of view is completely different, but it's absolutely true for you. It's accurate. It's 100% true for you. If the person at the top of the stands and the person sitting at the 50-yard line try to say, well, no, my point of view is right and your point of view is wrong, or this person says, my point of view is right and your point of view is wrong, it's nonsense because they're both right. They're both true for where they come from. Points of view come from not only where we're sitting in a stadium, but also how we were raised, where we grew up, what town we're living in, what language we speak, what color our skin is, what our parents were like. That is also a point of view to the world. And from that point of view, what you see for you is totally accurate and not something that anybody else sees the way you do. So we could welcome other points of view that gives us a better surround sound, but we don't. We get entrenched in our point of view or our position. And so um, a distinction from all of that is taking a stand. Taking a stand, when you take a stand, you relinquish your position or your point of view. It's almost like you rise above all points of view and suddenly you have vision. You can see that all the points of view are valid. They all make sense. They give you a much better view. You suddenly have vision of the whole instead of just your part or what you can see. So a stand welcomes every point of view. A stand is, is, is vision rather than a point of view. And vision has two ways, two definitions or two uh, grammatical places. It's both a noun and it's a verb. You have vision and you can vision because you're not stuck in a point of view. So a stand is very powerful. And people who've taken a stand in this world are the people we most admire and respect for changing the direction of things, for transforming life. So for example, Martin Luther King took a stand. Now it's not that he didn't drop down from the stand into positions to say, no, we shouldn't have that law. We should pass this law. No, it's not right to put that person in jail. No, uh, Black people need to have the right to vote. They're not three-fifths of a human being. They're a whole person. Those, All those laws and positions that he took were powerful and important, but who he was, who he considered himself to be, who he, where he lived from is his stand for every human being to have a healthy and productive life. And that stand was more powerful than any position he took. So he would be able to let go of a position and return to his stand. The same thing was true with Gandhi and Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. He wasn't against the British and for the Indians. He was for humanity, but he was willing 
from that stand for the health and well-being of every human being. That's what he stood for. He could take a position, yes, the British should walk out of India. They don't need to rule us for one more minute. But he didn't fight against. He he was a stand for. A stand is always positive. It's always all-inclusive. It always is empowered by every position, every point of view. Uh, and it moves the dial. Uh, Archimedes said, give me a place to stand and I'll move the world. And you can and you do. And the people we most admire on this planet are those stand takers, Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, Mother Teresa, Maya Angelou. I say Oprah has a stand, um, that she stands for something way more powerful than media or television or interviewing. Or she's not on the left or the right. You know, she does have her progressive views, of course, but she stands for something way bigger than a political point of view. She stands for the full self-expression of human beings. And you can tell by the way she expresses herself and by the way she draws out of every single one of her 35,000 people that she's interviewed, 35,000 people, she draws out the best in them. So we're... Um, we're privileged to be among people on this planet who've who've taken stands, but anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Each one of us has the power to take a stand, a stand for life. And when you take a stand, you take a stand for something greater than you could actually accomplish and check off in this lifetime. You know, when Oprah stands for the full self-expression of every human being, you can't check that off like a to-do. It's a direction and a through line through your life and into the long-term future of life. So stand taking is enormously powerful and um, positionality is useful and important. It's not wrong or bad. It's just not where to live your life. And that's what's happened to our Congress. That's what's happened to our politics. That's what's happening in England. That's what's happening with, um, with President Putin. They're caught in their positionality. And um, when someone like I think the president of the Ukraine is a stand taker. You know, his his voice, he's of course he's against the war. Of course he wants the Russians to leave. But who he's being, his being is a, he's a stand taker. You can tell when he speaks that he's taking a stand for for everybody to win, really. So that's uh what I mean by stand and that's what I mean by position. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's an important point to make because it's actually what one of the things that inspired me to I, I don't identify with a political party because what I found was that it was way too easy to get wrapped up in, well, this is what everyone believes. And rather than actually looking in with myself and saying, well, what what do I stand for rather than, oh, everyone around me is doing this or I must be for this because my party is and and I personally uh, believe that there's a lot of corruption in the government and there's just so many things that I feel like I went for and I s- thought I was standing for. It was more of a position and then found out that like, you know, none of the money I donated even go- went towards that cause <laughs> and all of the leaders of it got rich instead. There was a really big one that happened in June of 2020 that, you know, now all of a sudden there's headlines every week about how this foundation that was all over the news of everything just stole money and none of the money went to any of the communities. And, and oh, I think no. it's, oh, God. I mean, I, I think you've talked about it uh, every um, week. It seems like there's a new investigation into BLM. And that was one that I, I stood behind for um, a hot minute until somebody sent me some information. And, and now it looks like like they can't trace the money going towards any of the communities that it, it really enriched the people that founded it. And that's so disheartening because it was a cause that I thought I felt for. And so I feel like it's easier to get caught in those traps when you're taking a position versus saying, no, like I, I still stand for this. I still stand for this equality. I still stand for this. And so what I did instead in that moment, instead of getting torn down by it or feeling so disheartened by it, what I decided was the better option and what I always decide with nonprofits now as <laughs> the last couple of years is I look for the local ones, the ones that I can go see the work they're doing versus just the one being pushed the most heavily by everybody. <laughs> I have, I clearly have trust issues from the last couple of years. So, uh, it, but it's easier to do when you're taking the stand because then you are able to open up or I'm able to open up to that guidance more so than just the individuals or feeling like, well, this individual did something wrong. So now I'm closed off to that altogether. No, instead, to me, it feels like the focusing on the positive. Yes, there's going to be little missteps. Yes, maybe my money got wasted there, but where's the possibility? And I know that that's one of the things that you talk about is focusing on on really seeing the possibility rather than the negative news or whatever about it. But it's so difficult in the, this world because of 
I feel like we're so emotionally manipulated by everything, which I mentioned earlier, just the way media and news works these days. What are the ways that you help yourself shift to really seeing the possibility despite all of the heart and the the heartaches and the pain and the hardships that are happening around us? Um, Well, you know, this word compassion is such a, a, you know, it's used so well and so, and not so well oftentimes, but it, it, it's a, um, it's such a powerful part of, um, of being human to have compassion for the people at BLM, you know, who got confused and ended up with so much power that they lost their way. Um, I don't know much about that, but I, I, even when you talk about it, I just, I met Alicia Garza. I was on a panel with her once. I love her. And, and so I thought, well, you know, what a beautiful human being and what a, what a huge thing she has on her plate now. I'm like, God, can she handle it? I mean, of course she can. She did. And and then probably made some terrible mistakes. I don't know. I don't want to call her out, but I'm just saying compassion is really a great teacher for all of us. Everybody falls and, and helps each other up. Everybody makes mistakes. Brian Stevenson is a wonderful attorney that runs the, um, uh, the, the movie about him, what was it called? Um, Mercy or something about Mercy. He runs the, he created this incredible museum called the Legacy Museum um, to honor all the people who've been lynched in the South. And, and Brian is an attorney who works on death row to get people who he has discovered are completely innocent off death row or people even who committed a, a, a crime, but they don't belong to, they don't deserve to die for it. Um, and his, he says, I have it on my refrigerator. It says, We're, we should not be known by the worst thing we've ever done. You know, just think about the worst thing you've ever done. If everybody related to you as if that was who you are, that would be terrible. It was a mistake. You know, you screwed up with your sister or you, you know, you weren't paying attention and you hit um, someone who was riding a bicycle and broke their arm, you know, or I don't know what, but there's, there's, if we're, if we, define ourselves or if people define us by the worst thing we've ever done, we'd all be in, 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 we'd all be in jail. You know, we need to have a lot of compassion. People, especially who gain a lot of power fast. I've worked with some of these global billionaires who are internet people who are, you know, scrambling to pay the rent. And then something happened, there was an IPO and suddenly they have $150 million in cash, you know? Um, And then everybody starts treating them different. They can't think of themselves the same way. They kind of get confused and who's my friend and what do people really want of me? Do they want me or they want the money? You know, it's, it's so hard to stay centered with power and um, very few people are able to do it. Very, very, very few people are able able to do it. So I'll, I'll just say my, my way of walking in the world is with compassion. Mother Teresa really taught me that, you know, even the cruelest, most heinous dictators on this planet who've done horrible things and marginalized millions of people and stolen from their government and and created massive you know killing campaigns something horrible happened to them or they wouldn't be that way so you know saddam hussein i i know that zainab um, salwi who's a wonderful woman who runs a big uh, women's organization worldwide her father was uh saddam hussein's driver so she was very privy to the inner circle as a child of his driver, his personal chauffeur, the brutality of Saddam Hussein. But she also was privy to the fact that he was beaten bloody as a, to a bloody pulp as a child by his father over 
and over and over again. He was taught to be cruel. He was taught to be violent. He was forced uh, in many ways to be the kind of brutal leader that he was. That doesn't mean he couldn't completely transform like the, the song Amazing Grace, which was written by and for a slave trader who you know, came to his senses and realizing, oh my God, I've been selling human beings. What am I doing? After he'd done that for a long, long time and destroyed the lives of many people. So there's always a redemption. There's always an opportunity to forgive. There's always compassion. And when we have compassion for people who've fallen, that nourishes our soul. That actually creates a pathway for us to be better human beings and for them to be better too. There's a redemption in compassion, a redemption for us and, and a redemption for those for whom we have the compassion. So um, it's really um, uh, uh, an important word in our culture, but it's also an important calling right now to have compassion. You know, I'm, I have trouble having compassion with some of the people that I'm upset with. But when I think about them and they're in their bubble of information and people constantly affirming them and agreeing with them and, you know, cheering them on and, and standing up and yelling yay, yay, and wearing t-shirts that tell them to keep going. It's hard to turn that down. It's hard to turn around and say, no, I lied to you. That's not true. Nope, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. You, 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 you're calling me a hero, but actually I, 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 I lied to you. That's hard. And, you know, I want people to, to have the space to do that around me by creating environments of compassion. Because when there's an environment of compassion, then people can own their darkness. They can own their shadow. They can apologize. They can be forgiven and they can forgive. I had a conversation yesterday with a group of women who were in a group together and then they got into a kind of a, um, an argument and they divided and started blaming each other, uh, this little click and this little click. And they had all this side conversations, which actually in, in, in our world today is gossip. What I think we're doing in the political realm is just gossiping, gossip, gossip, gossip about each other. And gossip kills. It kills trust. It kills compassion. It kills the capacity to, um, to see. Um, gossip is so dangerous, and we've become uh, a country of gossip. That's what's in many ways, social media is a place to gossip. And um, so what do we do about it? And that's really what you're asking me, is to rise above it, to have compassion for those who are caught in that, help them get out of it without preaching or being righteous, but just don't, not engage not engage in things, not engage in conversations about, let's say, if you're a Democrat, how horrible the Republicans are, or if you're a Republican, how horrible the Democrats are. When people start talking about that, to step away from the conversation and say, I, I'm not going to go there. I'm sorry, I don't talk like that. They're human beings. I don't agree with them, but I'm not going to gossip about them. I'm not going to badmouth them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to step away from this conversation. And when I do that, people have so much respect for me that I chose that path rather than get in there and say, yeah, he's a jerk. He's a, did you hear what he said yesterday? Did you hear what he tweeted? You hear what she said? Um, when I step away, it makes them rethink, what am I doing here? These conversations make no difference whatsoever. In fact, they take all of us down. So I feel like, you know, our news media has, has 
devolved to gossip. I've written to CNN about it. I've written to Spot Fox about it. I don't think that that it behooves them to behave as the gossip mongers that they are. But you know, I'm just not going to engage with it. It's too it's too dehumanizing, and I don't want to go there. So I just don't go. You know. I had a moment where I was actually like, you know what? I am on the right track after a moment where I'm like, you know, I could have more compassion. <laughs> so <laughs> just a, a couple days ago, one of my family members sent me something and it was just a really divisive thing. And she comments, LMAO, like <laughs> laughing my ass off. And I'm like, this does nothing for me. Like there, there's mm-hmm. nothing for me to do with this. It's just talking crap about your other side. It's not even my other side because I prefer to re- remain neutral. And I, I was just like, I don't I don't see the benefit in engaging in this because I know that it just, my beliefs is it lowers my vibration. It doesn't do any good. Right. And so I, I stepped out of it and there was a little pushback. And I think it was because that person, when somebody does do something like that, kind of step out of it, it sort of reflects back on you what you're doing. And so there was there was a moment, but I didn't want to make her feel that way either. You know, I've sent things like that to people that I thought we could laugh at. And then I almost feel shame when they don't engage. And, and so I, I tried to mitigate that as well. And it's just like, yeah, I, I see why you're laughing, but I'm just trying to be a different kind of person now. And so I didn't make it about her. It was about me instead. And I really do think that when we're able to do those things and we are coming from a place of compassion because I could have done that very act with feelings of judgment towards this person with the like, oh, I can't believe you would do this. I'm not going to do it type thing. But I was, I, I took a deep breath before I responded back. It was through social media DMing. So I had the time, but I actually thought to myself, what energy am I holding right now? And in the very beginning, even though my text back was going to be high vibe, the very beginning, it was judgment and almost irritation. Like, really? Like, look what you look like sending this to me type thing. But instead, I almost did my own like three-minute meditation of like, okay, what am I feeling right now? Can I let that go? What do I want to be feeling? What is the purpose in not engaging? Who do I want to be with this? And then I had that energy when I sent the message. It changed the wording of what I responded back. And and it was a moment where I actually felt really good about it, <laughs> you know, where I was like, you, good for you. Go girl. It's awesome. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. I, it's hard. It's hard because we're swimming in a sea of sharks. I mean, you know, they're just after each other, but it's so to rise above it and to be yourself and to touch into your own humanity and not engage is it's hard because there's so much, you know, kind of uh, pushing to engage and, fight back and be angry and be nasty and be mean. But, you know, that's just not getting us anywhere. It's so, it's toxic to the body, to the soul. So to, you know, rise above the fray and invite others to do so is an act of enormous courage and an act of health and well-being and of mental stability. So good for you. Bravo. And if we know what we're taking a stand for, I feel like those are the things where I can 
actually ask myself like, okay, well, why am I taking a stand for this? What energy do I feel like that would create? What world do I feel like that would create? But I think one of the pitfalls for a lot of us, and you even talk about how the mindset of scarcity is our greatest challenge. And a lot of these arguments come back to, you know, from the surface, it's like, oh, you know, pro-life versus pro-choice or pro-medical freedom versus pro V passport, pro whatever, like all of these things. And it it seems like this argument of just political stances, but what each side is feeling is that something's going to be taken away from them, that they're not going to have enough, that they're not going to be able to live their life in the way that they want because there's this risk of like something being ripped from them. That's what I've felt in the last few years with a a lot of the different arguments that that go on. And I am hoping that it's not going to get worse, but signs kind of point to that, given that we're in this point of like of our institutions crumbling in a way. I'm hoping that there's just going to be a major transformation and you've got to, as you say, break down to break through. But that scarcity is scary for a lot of people. I mean, there's in the news, there's all sorts of things about water shortages and food shortages and our retirement funds being drained. But you talk about the lie of scarcity. When all of those messages are being given to us every time we turn on the news, every time we open social media, how do we get ourselves to a point to see scarcity as being a lie? How do we overcome that fear of not having enough? What do you tell yourself when when those feelings or those messages come to you? Well, the simplest and easiest route to sufficiency or fulfillment is gratitude. And it's very simple. It's so simple, it seems like it couldn't possibly work, but it does. If you are in a, a mindset of scarcity, I don't have enough of this. And what about my retirement fund? And oh my God, what about this institution is crumbling and the school is a mess and I, I don't know what to do with my kids. And if you step back and look and see what are you really, really deeply grateful for? That I have children, that they have a place to go to school. I'm deeply, deeply grateful that I have fresh and clean water. I'm deeply grateful that I have a roof over my head. I'm deeply grateful that we're, we're in a, a, a town that's safe. I'm deeply grateful for my neighbors, my grandmother. I'm deeply grateful for my kitty cat. I'm grateful for my health. You know, my one of my teachers is Brother David Stendel Ross, and I was just on an interview just before this one, and I, I remember the time he was, I told this guy, uh, my interviewer, Dr. Hyman, I remember when Brother David was staying at my house. He's a Benedictine monk. He's now 96. And he's just the most beautiful man. And he's the icon of of, um, gratitude. He's written about it. He has a website called gratefulness.org. He's a a, a monk that's often in, in silence and in meditation. But what he lives in is this immense state of gratitude. And he has a network called the Network of Grateful Living, which I highly recommend, A-N-G-E-L, Angel, a Network of Grateful Living. And um, I remember one day he woke up and every day he would pick something, besides being grateful for everything all, all the time and speaking from there, he would pick something particularly to be grateful for. And he, he woke up and he said, today I'm going to be grateful for yellow. And then he would notice, oh, I love that that the color of that wall behind you is this beautiful canary yellow. Oh, I see a bird out the window that's yellow. And there, look at that woman's beautiful blonde hair. And isn't that banana, the color of that banana. And then this yellow pad, this paper pad, it's such a vibrant, so much fun to ride on yellow. I mean, he would just, he would just like completely light up over yellow. Another day he picked water. Another day he, you know, he would just pick, anything. And, and then he would be in thr- 
enthralled with every little thing in life. It was just like walking through a day with him was, was filled with joy. So we can always turn ourselves around. We can always shift our mood. We can always use music or poetry or flowers or nature, being outside and sitting beneath a tree and just feeling the tree trunk on your back and the stability, the strength. I live near some redwoods and they're thousands of years old and they've seen so much and they have so much wisdom. And when I sit at the bottom of one of those redwoods and I ask for guidance, I always get it. I always get it. So I'm, I'm suggesting that gratefulness is, is like the tonic. It's like a medicine, the finger pointing the, and you know, I'm, I, I don't like swimming in those waters, so I don't watch those things and I don't look at them online and I unsubscribe from everything that's like that. And when they say why, I say the language is too divisive and I'm all about oneness. Um, I do everything I can to to tell the truth about what I want and what I see, but I don't know that that I have any other advice or any other coaching or any other answer to your question other than gratitude. It's so simple. It's we sort of step over it. It's, it couldn't be couldn't be that easy, but it's awesome. It's just awesome. When I look at you with your mind, love, you know, wonderful poster behind you, and and two beautiful plants and plants on the shelves behind you, and you're young and you're vibrant and you're beautiful and you're curious. I think, how lucky am I to be talking to you, to be answering your questions, to be in um, in in this intergenerational moment where we're both facing a world that it's in some ways scares us and terrifies us, but in other ways inspires and is is filled with possibility. And here we are having a conversation that hopefully will be useful to people listening. Hopefully we'll make a contribution to their way of thinking. Hopefully we'll lift them out of the latest news story about some horrible disaster or the, the fights they're having in parliament over in England over who's going to be prime minister. You know, I mean, I know those are important and I respect people who are in those dialogues and have positions of power. At the same time, I just be careful what I expose myself to. I don't watch horribly violent things. I don't want to see that. I, I know it sells. I know that it's kind of the way the media is going, but it just doesn't fit for me. So I, I, I go out of my way to not watch that um, kind of stuff if I can help it. So I think we all have our ways of navigating this um, challenging world, but not only navigating it, being true to ourselves in the midst of it, being true to who we are and being true to others. So it's... Um, it's a challenging world, a challenging time, but how exciting to be alive at a time when we're in this greatest trans transformation or you could say evolutionary leaps that any generation alive has ever faced and ever maybe will face, certainly has, has ever faced in history. And we're alive now. And there's no question about it, at least in my mind, that we're going to make it and it's going to be rough and it is rough, but that will forge us into who we need to be for the next era of life. And we're being forged, we're being tested, we're being shaped, um, we're being called, I think. And there's a nobility in that. There's a nobility in listening for the call and in answering it with your life. I have also been really selective on what I allow into my energy, my space. And I've been really aware recently of just, I've, I've taken on this new perspective. I started studying 
the uh, Douglas Harding's work on the headless way. <laughs> it's just like this oh, new way. Oh, to... I love him. Oh. Yes, and and all of a sudden, I I only had to see one self portrait by Ernst Mach, and, and I was like, oh my gosh, we are what's in our awareness. And so, yes, when I'm talking to you, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, there's something about you're leaving an energy imprint on me, and I'm becoming a different person at each given moment. And so, when you look at life that way then yeah, turning on the trending horror movie on Netflix just doesn't align. I'm like, I don't want that in my energy. Although I am finishing Handmaid's Tale because I got wrapped into that before I had this awareness. (laughs) But otherwise, I'm very selective. And so not only that, it gives me this greater appreciation for everything versus we have often have a tendency to like be in our house and be judging like this isn't enough or I wish I had this or you're scrolling and you're comparing and Rather than being like, oh, I wish I had that. Why is her kitchen so much bigger than mine? Whatever it is, thinking, oh, what a beautiful thing to be in my awareness. Wow, this thing I get to view now. I wonder how I'll create my life after this moment. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a different perspective that that allows me to open up to more things instead of, again, that separateness that I feel like is often a natural inclination. And so mm-hmm. thank you for adding to my awareness today, to the audience's awareness, and for consistently creating such uh, transformational tools and information that that has helped so many people. For So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you, your most recent book, your past book, The Soul of Money, which I really, really loved, where's the best place for them to connect? Well, they can order the Living a Committed Life book, Living a Committed Life by Lynn Twist on any of the online bookstores, or they can ask for it at a bookstore that in their town. And it will be shipped on November 29th when plenty of time for the holidays. So I really highly recommend they do that. And then um, I have a website called soulofmoney.org, soulofmoney, all one word, .org. And then also my work with Pachamama, the Pachamama Alliance. That's P-A-C-H-A-M-A-M-A, all one word, P-A-C-H-A-M-A-M-A.org. And learn about our work to preserve the uh, Amazon rainforest and also to do wonderful, really transformational educational programs all over the world. Um, So those are the best ways to reach me. And I hope everybody buys my book because that's really um, everything that I know that I've drawn from working with Mother Teresa to Jane Goodall to Desmond Tutu to the Amazon rainforest people is in that book. All the links to this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 275. Your challenge for this week is to dream big. You don't need to take action right away, but I want you to start really getting into that part of your brain that taps into your deepest desires and see how it aligns to a big need in the world. You don't even have to see that need right away. Chances are, if you have this calling, there is at least a pocket of people who could use it. So start dreaming. I'll give you some brainstorming questions that you can either just mull about in your head or use it as a journaling exercise. What have people asked you for help with in the past? What pulls at your heartstrings? Where have you helped and had fun in the past? Where have you seen a need before? What are you curious about? What would you like to learn more about? 
When was the last time that you were giving to someone in service or in goods that really lit you up? So use these questions as threads to pull at. Maybe they lead to more questions that open up more ideas. And let me know what you come up with. I am actually doing the same thing right now. I have some big plans for 2023 that I am so excited about. And so I actually have an ask for you. I'm going to be starting a nonprofit this year, and I would love to be connected with anybody or any resources that you might have. Whether you've worked in one and you just want to get on a call and brainstorm with me some ideas, or whether you know somebody who could help, or you just have some tips from past experience, I don't care what it is. If you can help in any, any way, and again, even if it's just to brainstorm, if you have some knowledge there, I would love that. So please reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or send me an email at melissa at mindlove.com. If you'd like to support MindLove, you can help me with those resources I just asked for. <laughs> you can join MindLove Premium at mindlove.com premium. You get early release, ad-free listening, over 50 and soon to be 100 exclusive episodes only for MindLove Premium listeners as well as bonuses like meditations. You can also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, or you could find any of my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. Thank you.